0: Good evening, it's a pleasure to be with you again this evening as we continue to study this doctrine of election. Tonight we're dealing especially with election and evangelism, but more specifically in this message, dealing with the subject of Jesus the evangelist and uh, the doctrine of election that laid behind his evangelism. What I want to show is from two texts of scripture that the doctrine of election and evangelism actually go together. Jesus did not separate these two. He preached both. And in one verse that we look at, and actually the same sentence, he preached both the doctrine of election and the doctrine of the free offer of the gospel and inviting men to come to Christ. As I said, we'll be looking at two passages of scripture tonight. Uh, we'll look first of all at John six thirty-seven. And then at Matthew 11:25 25 through 30. So this really answers the question as to whether or not we can believe the Doctrine of Election, preach the Doctrine of Election, and still preach the Gospel. As we heard this morning, Pastor John spoke to us about the need to preach the Gospel. And evangelism is actually proclaiming the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. The news that Jesus Christ was born the Virgin, sent by the Father... That he lived a perfect, sinless life, and that he then, in obedience to his Father, uh, suffered, went to the cross, suffered, died, was buried, rose again the third day, has ascended to heaven, and commissioned his disciples to do what he did while he was here on earth, and that is to preach the gospel. The disciples were to preach the gospel to every preacher. Now let's look first of all at John chapter 6, verse 37, as our first text tonight. And I would guess that most of you are familiar with what's happening in John chapter 6, but I'll review it just very, very briefly for you. Jesus has um, fed the 5,000, and then after he fed the 5,000, he sent them away, and he sent his disciples away, he himself went up into the mountain to pray, and while he was He saw his disciples were in trouble, so he walked on the water to meet them. None of you have walked on water, even though there's a lot of water around here. But Jesus walked on water, as you well know, because he is the Son of God. Well, the next day, the crowds were seeking Jesus. He had fed them free food. And what a king he would make. Think of it. The rest of your life, you have free food. All you need is five loaves and two fish and you can feed 5,000 people. That's the best social program I've ever heard of. And so they sought Him. They wanted to find Him. And they did find Him, but Jesus confronted them with the truth with the reality. He says, you don't seek Me for the right reason. You seek Me because I fed you, your bellies were filled, and you want more food. He said, I am the bread who came down from heaven. Now that really troubled them because they thought, are you better than Moses who gave us manna? And uh, so they entered into this dialogue with each other. And in the midst of this dialogue, uh, Jesus said, I'm starting to read now verse 35 of chapter 6. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet do not believe. And then this verse, I want you to think about it as we'll be dealing with it in the first part of this message. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, and there he is declaring his eternality, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, came down from heaven, became a man, Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. Now notice that, all that he has given me. If you go back up to verse 37, he said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Now he says in verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but should raise it up at the last day. In other words, he's declaring that everyone given to him of the Father is going to experience the resurrection, and the resurrection meaning in becoming a part of the new heavens, and the new earth, the new body, and all the blessings of that resurrection. And verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. And of course, verse 41, the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, we know this man. He's Jesus. He's the son of Joseph. uh, And uh, his father and mother we know. How can he say I've come down from heaven? So they were rejecting him, of course, as you well know. And ultimately that rejection led to his crucifixion, as you well know as well. But here... I, you noticed, did you not, even as I read this, that Jesus puts two things together. The one thing he puts, he declares, is that the Father has given him a people. And the other thing that he says, everyone who comes to me will have life. I'm the bread of heaven who came down from heaven. If you will believe in me, you will have life. You will be a part of this resurrection. What I want to do is to ask two questions of this text. Like I say, I have two texts tonight, which means I have two sermons. Uh, to preach in about the next uh, half hour, to 35 to 40 minutes. So we're going to try to do that the best we can. <clears throat> because I want to show that this wasn't the only time that Jesus put these two truths together. Here are two questions. The first question is, who will come to Christ? And the second question is, who may come to Christ? Now you see, my questions are similar but very different. Who will come to Christ? Who may come to Christ? We had a Christian school in our church for many years. And um, I always like to teach students the difference between uh, can and may. Pastor Taylor, can I come up and sharpen my pencil? And I would often say to them, I honestly believe that you are able to do that. And they pause for a moment. They, they learn, you know, how to ask appropriately. Then they said, may I sharpen my pencil? I said, yes, you may. I knew they could. Now it's a matter that they may do it. They had permission to do it. So my two questions are in that same category. The first question is, who will come to Christ? That is, who can come to Christ? Who is it that actually comes to Christ? The second question is, who may come to Christ? And both of these Questions are answered in verse 37 as well as verse 40 and, and many other uh, places in the scripture as well. So who will come to Christ? Well, Jesus tells us who will come to Christ. Verse 37a, All that the Father gives me will come to me. So what Jesus is saying is the Father, meaning God the Father, has given me a people. He's gifted me. And this people will come to me. So you see, Jesus believed in unconditional election. He didn't use the term unconditional election, but he he obviously believed it because he says, all that the Father gives me. In other words, I've been given a people. And the Father gave him a people which, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. First church that I pastored, I preached the Doctrine of Unconditional Election, and there was a dear, dear lady, um, I had a lot of dear people in that first church, a uh, dear lady, I went to visit her after I preached the Doctrine of Election, and she was delighted because she had believed this, and, and actually I don't think it had been taught in the church, the first pastor, and, and she pointed out a scripture to me, and she says, you know, she says, uh, we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. It is God who did it before we were born, before we were created. And of course, she's right. And that's what Jesus is saying. So the Father has given a people to Jesus. And verse 39 tells us that all these people will come to him. And furthermore, it says that not one of them will be lost. I will lose nothing of all that he gave me. This is an amazing, amazing statement. A gift given. A lot of people. Millions of people. And Jesus says, I'm not going to lose a single one of them. And the same thing is confirmed by Jesus over in chapter 17 and verse 6, where He says, I have manifested Your name to the men You have given Me out of the world. They were Yours... You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. He says the same thing in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, when he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. And he goes on to say, They shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus was absolutely convinced and taught and believed in this doctrine of, of election. And he knew that he had been given a people. And he knew that these people would never be lost. He knew that He would never lose a single one of those who have been given to Him in a redemptive sense, that is, given to Him as those who would have and inherit eternal life. There, here is the absolute certainty of salvation. Now, furthermore, I want you to notice in the verse that our Lord says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. In other words, they will believe on me, they will have faith in me, is what Jesus is saying. Um, Some look at this doctrine of election and say, whatever will be, will be. If God's gonna save somebody, he'll save them. And I've even had young people in the church I pastored who, because we taught the sovereignty of God, would sit back and basically they said, well, there's not a whole lot I can do because I've got to wait till I get the heavenly zap. Now that's not what they called it, it's what I called it. The heavenly zap from heaven. When God zaps me, then I'll believe. I think of one young man especially uh, who, um, who knew theology, knew doctrine, would argue the doctrines of grace. And would even argue about creation. He worked in a meat market with his father. And with the customers. He believed the Christian faith. He would argue the Christian faith. But he didn't know Christ. And his problem was. And he confessed this after he was converted. His problem was, you see. That... He was expecting that God had to do something to him. And if God would do something to him, then he would believe. It's that false Calvinism that I mentioned last night that Andrew Fuller grew up with. Well, it was a week before I left a 33-year ministry in East Moline, Illinois, that his um, wife came to me and he came to me and says, We've got to talk. And we were in the midst of packing boxes in our house, and they came over on a Monday night. We were going to be, we had one more week at the church. And they began to tell us about their journey. And it was clear that the Lord had opened their hearts, and he came to understand that he must believe. And he believed. He came to Christ. And you see, that's what Jesus is saying. Yes, the Father has given me a people, and all who have been given will come to me no one no one gets to heaven unless they come to Jesus they cannot say well I believe God has given that I'm the elect therefore I'm going to heaven doesn't matter whether I believe or not oh yes it does everyone who's been given will come to me is what the Lord Jesus Christ says now we'll have more to say on that in just a few moments But what I want you to notice is that they come. They do come because the Lord opens their heart. They come. Uh, No man left in his own sin wants to come to Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 5, He said, You do not come to me that you may have eternal life. Uh, You're just not willing to come. I've offered myself, but you're not willing to come. Look at John chapter 5, starting in verse 38, where we read, And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Searching the scriptures, refusing to come to Christ. That was, that's the natural man. But you see, when the Lord opens the heart, they come. And you see, election is just, in a sense, the beginning of our salvation. The Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He ordained His Son to come and die for His people. Ah, but you see, If His people are going to go to heaven and be a part of the resurrection, they need to come. And the only way they can come is when the Spirit of God opens their hearts so that they come to see that Jesus Christ is their only hope and they believe on Him. And that's why Jesus could say about these people, He says, You you refuse to come. Their hearts had not been opened. So they didn't want to come And they refuse to come. There is no ability in man to come. And Jesus says that later on here in chapter 6, verse 44, when he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him, and I will raise him up to the last day. So, who will come to Christ? Those whom the Father has given. Who will come to Christ? Those who... Come, because the Spirit of God has opened their hearts those who actually believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this does not mean that God forces men to be saved. Here's where we come to the truth that no man can come to me except the Father draw him. Some people have taken that word draw And literally it can be translated, no man can come to me unless the Father drags him. I don't like that translation. I'll tell you why. I don't like that because that sounds like a man is being brought to Christ against his will. And that's never the case. A man who comes to Christ comes willingly. The Father draws him. How does he draw him? By the Holy Spirit he woos him. And he reveals to him Christ. And as Christ is revealed to him, he comes to see the beauty and the loveliness of Christ, the loathsomeness of his own sin. He wishes to turn from his sin and come to Christ. But it is all of God. And these are the people to whom... These are the people that were given, I should say, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to move on to the second question, which is, who may come to Christ. And again, I point out to you what is obvious in the text. There are people who will come because they've been given by the Father. They've been elected. But then there's a people who may come. And notice the language. All that the Father gives me will come. And then he says, whoever, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me. In other words, no man can look at the scripture and say something like this. Well, I don't know if I've been elect. Therefore, I don't know if I can come. I don't know if I've been elect and maybe I'm not elect, so I won't even try to come. No, 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 no. You see, Jesus smashes that argument because what he's telling, what he's telling these people is this. Whoever wants to come to me may come. He says, I am the bread of life that's come down from heaven. Verse 35, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I'm the bread of life. Here I am. If you will believe in me, if you will will come to me, you may have life. Here is a free and gracious invitation. And dear friends, as those of us who believe in unconditional election, We must freely offer the gospel just as freely as our Lord Jesus Christ offered the gospel. We must tell people, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We must tell them, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We must tell them, as Romans 10.13 says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We must tell them, as Jesus told these people, we must tell them, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There's nothing hindering any man from coming to Christ, except his own will, except his own resistance, except his own sin, which binds him. But he has a duty and a responsibility to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a free and gracious invitation We have that free and gracious invitation many places in the Bible. Remember in Isaiah chapter 51. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, come and buy. Buy without money. Buy wine and buy milk. No money, no cost, just come. And that is the invitation of the gospel. And that's what Jesus preached. That's what the whole Bible preaches. Yes, the Bible teaches unconditional election, and Jesus taught it, and in the next breath he said, whoever wishes to come, please come. Please come. You remember Jesus looked on the multitudes, and it's a sincere invitation. How do we know it's a sincere invitation? You remember when Jesus looked on the multitudes? You can read it in in, in the Gospel of Matthew. He looked on the multitudes, he had compassion on them, as sheep without a shepherd. These were people who needed someone to guide them and He had a compassionate love for them. And that's the kind of compassionate love that we are to have toward all people. You remember what Jesus did when He was here on the earth? Did He only heal the sick who were the elect of God? Oh no. People came to Him and He healed their sick. He raised the dead. He caused the lame to walk. He caused the lame to walk. He caused the blind to see. And not all those who were healed were elect. Some of them reported back to the Sadducees and Pharisees. It was Jesus who did it so that the Pharisees could go after him. They they, they did not have a saving faith. And yet he had compassion on them and met their physical and human needs. And furthermore, you notice in the text it says, Jesus says, I will in no wise, I will never cast out. It's a double negative here. He's saying, I will by no means, I will never, never cast them out. There can be nothing more certain than this, that if you, if anyone, will come to Jesus Christ, he will receive you. He will receive you. And what a... What a blessing that is for a a sinner who's bound in his sin, who wants to be released from his sin, to hear the words of Jesus, I will never, never cast you out. Um, Those who abuse use election as an excuse for not preaching the gospel or for, for an excuse of not coming to Christ is a very poor thinking. You see, God has ordained everything that comes to pass. That's very true. But he has ordained also the means by which all these things have come to pass. I grew up on a farm in north central Iowa. And um, I got a, my sisters and I inherited the land. And I got a call from our farmer here just a couple of weeks, a week or two ago. And it's been a lot of rain. It's been slow getting the soybeans out of the field. Uh, But I I know they're all out by now. But he told me, he says, you know, he says, we're gonna get about 55 bushels to the acre for soybeans. That's good, last year was 60, but 55 is still very, very good. Now, what if Dwight would not have put down the anhydrous ammonia, would not have prepared the ground, would not have sown the seed, and would not have sprayed the beans so that the weeds wouldn't come up through them. Um, But it said, well, Gordon, whatever will be, will be. This spring I'm just going to sit in my easy chair and not go out to the field to work. Because if we're going to get 55 bushels of the acre, it'll just happen. What would you say to that man? I'd say, you're crazy. Yes, God has ordained 55 bushels of the acre. I know that because it's done. That was God's ordination, that that many bushels per acre of beans be harvested. But you see, for that that crop to be harvested, a whole lot of work had to go into it. There's a whole lot of things behind it. And, And you see, so it is with a man's salvation. Yes, God has elected, God has ordained a certain number of the elect, but for this elect to come, it means that they have to hear the gospel, people have to pray for them, and they must believe. They must come. To Christ. And so it is. You must come to Christ. Well, I want to move on to our second text um, where Jesus, as an evangelist, also teaches the doctrine of election. That's back to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. Matthew, chapter 11, and starting at verse 25. And I'll read through verse 30. Matthew 11. Starting at verse 25. Let's hear God's word. At that time, at that time, the particular time of which Jesus is speaking is right after he pronounced woes upon Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Tyre, or Choran and Bethsaida. These were cities uh, of the Jews. And he tells them, he says, to the Chorus and Bethsaida, if the miracles that he did in Chorus and Bethsaida had been done in Tyre and Sidon, and if you read your Old Testament, you know that, that Tyre and Sidon received severe judgment from God because basically of their pride, their wealth, which they believed they got on their own, and because they didn't have compassion on God's covenant of people in Israel. Severe judgment based upon them. But he says, if if the works that he'd done in Corinth and Bethsaida had been done in Tyre and Sodom, they would have repented. And Capernaum was in the same boat, which is called the city of Jesus, where he did so much of his work. He says even Sodom would have repented if the miracles he'd done in, in, in Capernaum had been done in Sodom. So it was after he pronounced this judgment because these people refused to receive the truth, refused to accept the fact that he was sent from God and had done these miracles. It says in verse 25, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father for such was your, your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And then notice verse 28. Come to me These cities that had rejected the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Judgment was coming. It was certain because of their rejection. And yet in verse 28, there is this gracious invitation given. These cities whose sin was so great could yet come to Jesus. And he offers himself to these cities. I want you to notice three characteristics of this gracious invitation. First of all, I want you to notice that the foundation for the invitation is unconditional election in verses 25 through 27. God says he hides the truth from them. Now, why did he hide the truth from them? Even though he's giving them a gracious invitation? Well, we may not know entirely, but we do know this. We do know this. Part of the reason is because these cities have received so much truth, so much revelation, and were so full of pride, and were so full of themselves, and so full of the, uh, of the fact that they thought they knew the Scriptures, and they knew that Jesus Christ could really not be the Son of God, They harden their hearts, and just like God hardened Pharaoh's heart, so God hardens their heart. And Jesus says, I'm glad, I'm thankful that you've hidden these things from the prudent wise. That is, those who are wise in their own sight. And my dear friends, one of the worst conditions that a man can ever find himself is, is to think that he's wise because of his own intellect and his own abilities. And so Jesus said, I'm thankful that you hid it from them because they're so wise in their own eyes. But he says, You've made it made you've made it known to these little children, or literally to these babes. Babes have been made aware of the reality, of the truth, of the gospel. The Holy Spirit has made them aware. And he says, "All and I and I only reveal the Father to whom those that, that 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 I choose to, because the Father has given me you see these people. So you see, election is the work of the Father and the Son. Verse twenty-seven makes this very clear. All things have been handed over to me by my Father." No one knows the Son except the Father, no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal it. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am so much one with the Father. I know whom the Father has chosen, and I choose then to reveal myself to those whom the Father has given to me. Here is the truth. Jesus not only believes in election, but he taught it publicly. He says at that time he declared this to all those people. After he pronounced judgment. He says, the Father is hidden from you. And He's I only reveal the Father to those whom the Father has given me. And I choose only to reveal the truth to them. And yet in the next breath, what does he do? Verse 28. In the next breath, he says, and this is the second characteristic of this gracious invitation. It's not only, the foundation is not only election, but the essence of this gracious invitation is an invitation to come. Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Come to me, he says. Because in Jesus Christ is all of redemption and all salvation. This is the essence of the gospel to invite men to the person of Jesus Christ, who has redeemed, who has died for his people. And he's come, he says, "Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, even in these unrepentant cities that were going to receive the judgment of God. He says, if you are one of those having heard of the coming judgment, knowing that the severity of the judgment is going to rest upon you. He says, there's yet time for you. If you come to me, weary and heavy laden, then you will find peace. And because I'm gentle and lowly of heart. What causes one to be weary and heavy laden? Well, in the case of these cities, people who have been awakened by the Spirit of God will be weary and heavy laden, realizing... A couple of things. One is the judgment was coming, and furthermore, they would come to realize that their that their religious teachers, the Pharisees, had laid burdens on them, which were which they could never meet, requirements which they could never attain to. The Pharisees and Sadducees did that. You remember, they fasted, they prayed, they told the people that they had to give the the tithe, the the mint and the cumin and so forth and they required that of them. Uh, They they told them they had to give them money and all these other requirements and this was a burden upon the people. Ah, but if they were burdened with all the requirements of the religious teachers, if they came to Jesus that would be lifted. If they took the yoke upon Jesus. You know what a yoke is? A yoke is what's put on the oxen as they would go through the field. and and plow and but Jesus my yoke is easy and my burden is very light why is it easy and why is it light? well it's easy and light because one it doesn't have all the legal requirements of the Pharisees and two when one comes to Jesus he gives them the power and the ability to actually obey him I have had young people And others say to me something like this, I cannot be a Christian because I just couldn't ever live the Christian life. And I assure them, of course you cannot live the Christian life. It's impossible for you the Christian life. But here's the good news of the gospel. The gospel not only says come to Jesus, And your sins will be forgiven. But the gospel is a gospel that renews your heart and gives you a love for Christ. And makes you desire above all else to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And the matter of following Christ is not hard. You will say with the psalmist, Oh Lord, how I love your law. It is indeed my delight. And notice... Thirdly, the third characteristic of this gracious invitation, Jesus gives the motivation for accepting. He talks about his gentleness and the easy yoke. He is gentle and lowly. How inviting this is to hear that you're going to have a master who cares for you, who is gentle, who will indeed come alongside and help you as you obey him. Here's no forced regulations. It is, Christianity is not a matter of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. It is a matter of coming to a Savior whose yoke is easy, whose burden is light. Yes, who requires obedience, but gives the heart for one indeed to obey. As you think of the gospel, remember, what Jesus believed. What did He believe? He believed that the Father had given Him a people. What did Jesus believe? Jesus believed that the eyes of the proud and the arrogant were blinded. What did Jesus believe? He believed that the gospel invitation was to be given to all, and that those who believed on Him would indeed have eternal life. And dear friends, that's what we need to believe. We need to believe that God has a people that's been given to Jesus. And we don't know who those people are. But we do know that the gospel is to be freely offered. We must be evangelists like the Lord Jesus, who believed in election, and who also offered the gospel freely to everyone. May God help us to do that. Amen.